0: Good morning saints of our Lord and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, November the 8th, and I pray that you had a blessed Reformation and All Saints Sunday celebration in your church, pointing us to the grace of Christ and, of course, looking to the future hope that we have, especially remembering the saints that came before us. And today in chapter 8, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, where we look around the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles as it begins with this question Who is like the wise? And that's really what we've been pursuing, and Solomon's been pursuing for us. Who is one that is wise? Which obviously points us to Jesus, who not only gives us wisdom, but is wisdom. And that will be our focus today with our Christ goggles as the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. Lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back with us regular guest, Rev. Dr. Brian Ketchelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Oh, it is great to be here to talk about God's Word. This is
0: wonderful. Wonderful. So, Pastor, tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Redeemer.
1: Well, up here in Los Alamos, we still have a pandemic. I don't know if you've heard. And uh, we also still have a mask mandate in our state. So that's kind of what we're doing here at Redeemer is uh, living by faith in the midst of the world falling apart. And uh, what's going on in my life of my family is that uh, we are anticipating the uh, marriage of our, our firstborn son. Uh, he will be married at the end of this month, and that'll be uh, a blessing.
0: And I think you had said that's going to be in Houston, Texas?
1: Yes, it will be in Houston, Texas. Right now he's studying at Texas A&M out in College Station. Uh, he'll finish up with his master's degree there and uh, get married, and uh, this would just be a, a wonderful time for him and his life.
0: And, you know, in the midst of joy, there will be grief because you will go to the place where the Astros lost the World Series, and you are an Astros fan yourself. How are you going to handle all that?
1: Being a fan means that you're a fanatic. And so, yeah, I'm an Astros fanatic, which means, of course, I'm a little bit crazy, a little bit insane about the the fact that there's an anticipation that the Astros are going to win, and then they don't. So there's also that level of uh, depression and uh, just discouragement. But uh, that, that, in, in a way, it, it's kind of like what we are looking at in Ecclesiastes. I mean, you, right. you're, you're you're experiencing things in life, and you just have to ask why. Why didn't the Astros win? I mean, they had the better offense by far. But it just asks these questions, and sometimes you just don't know the answers. So you just live by faith.
0: It, yes, that's what we do: live by faith. Who is the wise? We will ask today. And you know what? You know what, Pastor? I wanted to highlight something too. Is it's been a joy for me to listen to you and your time and and on issues et cetera with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller in the segment called Your Unanswered Bible Questions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that is on air here on KFUO from 3 to 5 p.m. in the afternoons. Once a month, you two will be on. So you can tell us a little bit about what you're doing on issues, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so he, what we're going to do is uh, uh, once a month, at the beginning of the month, we, we'll look at this uh, the, these questions that uh, listeners have, just kind of questions that maybe you've been pondering, or maybe you didn't uh, quite uh, understand yourself, maybe just like a little bit of a refresher. Uh, so looking at any kind of questions you might have about the Bible, just to help us to grow in our knowledge of salvation. The, the funny thing I'll tell you is that uh, Pastor Wolfmiller and I go back, way, way back to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we both used to do youth work at a church there, and I was the, uh, the full-time youth director at the church, and he was a volunteer helper. And with the teenagers, we used to have a, a little uh, sessions where we would call it Stump the Chump. And so... <laughs> oh, my. But, but of course, those were teenagers trying to give us the hard questions they didn't think we could answer, and so we would try to do our best to answer them. Uh, of course, we weren't as educated back then, and now we continue to grow in our understanding of the Scripture.
0: So, it could be retitled, and maybe we want to talk to them at issues, et cetera. Stump the Chump might be a new example or a good, a good well, name for <laughs> the segment. What do you think?
1: I, I hope not. I probably shouldn't have even said that. <laughs> we should probably just delete that from the, the, the recorded memory of everybody's mind now and take that off the air wave so that nobody hears that once again. So.
0: <laughs> well, a reminder to our listeners a great opportunity. If you have any questions, you can listen in on issues, et cetera. Um, uh, Issuesetcetera.org is the program, and um, uh, Unanswered Bible Questions is the actual segment. So, Pastor, as we look to the Scriptures, and we have many questions, can you ask the Lord to help us and ask the Lord's blessings upon our time in prayer?
1: Yes, uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we give thanks to you through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you've given to us the blessing of yet another day. Oh Lord, we pray that you send your Spirit upon us, opening our ears to hear your voice clearly, opening our eyes to see wonderful things in your Word, all fulfilled in the promises of your Son, Jesus, and open our hearts that we would continue to grow in our faith and trust in those promises we have in Christ as we live in this life by faith your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone, not only does he answer questions uh, on issues, etc., but also here, if you have any questions concerning Ecclesiastes chapter 8, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And Pastor, it was a joy to have you start off Ecclesiastes as we went through the main themes of this wonderful book, and to have you back just a little bit beyond halfway And chapter 8 brings its own uniqueness to the book of Ecclesiastes. So how do you want to start us off on the right foot this morning?
1: Well, I think what we want to start off with is just the understanding of a question. Uh, So in the scripture, in wisdom literature in particular, you have these questions of meditation and complication. I mean, not (laughs) complication. I I can't even speak today. But uh, meditation, that you're actually, you're thinking about these things. You are contemplating uh, these answers. It's not like the Scripture doesn't know the answers. It's not like uh, God doesn't know the answers, but it's that, that ability to just stop and pause and learn and listen, and let the Lord work within the heart. So you're jokingly about thump the chump, of course, with the teenagers, the idea was you're trying to ask questions that you couldn't answer. Uh, what we're doing on issues, etc., is you're asking questions that you're actually, you're contemplating, you're meditating upon it, and you're, you're, you're desiring to have a better understanding of things. And so this is really what's going on here in this chapter, and in all wisdom literature, is you're asking yourself these questions. You know, who is like the wise man? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? And so you want to stop, and you want to think about these uh, questions.
0: So as you look at this, it starts with a question. Um, I'm ready to get to the question and start digging in. Anything else you want to highlight before we start?
1: No, I think we're good to go.
0: All right. So a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting just with verse 1, with a question. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. So we have two questions and reflection to be had upon us as Christian believers. What is he asking us, and why is he asking it?
1: Well, let's just start off with that that first question. Who is like the wise? Now, when we put that question before ourselves, what we want to think about is that wisdom itself comes from God. So we're not talking about wisdom of the world here. Uh, This is written uh, for believers who are contemplating these things, the uh, experience in life, as the world falls apart before your own eyes, and you're trying to say, well, where's the wisdom in this? Who is wise and who is the discerning one with these things? And, and so you're looking at the one who has been given the gift of wisdom, the Holy Spirit, of course, is the spirit of wisdom. He gives the gift of, of wisdom, and Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. And so who is like the wise? Well, ultimately, that's going to set our eyes upon Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate. He's the one who takes upon flesh and blood, tabernacle amongst us. He is wisdom in the flesh. He is the perfect man, the perfect Adam, if you will. I mean, he, he's the one who is the, the son of God begotten of the Father from all eternity, and of course, also the Son of the Virgin Mary, born of our flesh and of our, our blood, of our bones, so that He is one with us in humanity. He is the true Adam. And so you're asking this question, who is the wise? Ultimately, you will look at Jesus as the wisdom of God. And Now, in this next question where it says, who knows the interpretation of a thing? Now, one thing that I want you to understand here is this Hebrew word, devar, has multiple definitions, just like any word in English. And here in the ESV, they've chosen to, uh, to render this as a thing or a matter. Now, of course, it can could, it could be easily rendered that way. That's, that's fine. But I, I think that what we really want to look here is go a little bit further in the interpretation of a word, which ultimately, of course, is a thing. Because in this life, the interpretation of all these matters that we have in this life uh, is given to us by God. Because you look around and you see the suffering, uh, you see death, you see where it looks like the wicked are always getting away with things, or even that the wicked prosper, and the righteous are the ones who always seem to get the short end of the stick. The righteous, the believers, are the ones who seem to be oppressed by those who are in power. And those who are in power seem to just get more and more power and oppress more and more. So all of these things that we see before us, you know, who has the, the knowledge, or who is able to know this interpretation of the thing? Well, ultimately, the interpretation of the Word, the understanding of the Word of God, is what gives to us as believers this this hope, this comfort in this life, that we know that God promises to work together for the good in all things for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And that interpretation of a Word, the Word of the Lord, ultimately, as you look at all of the, the words of the prophets, uh, speaking as the mouthpiece of God, and when you read these without the Holy Spirit, without the interpretation of the Word, then you don't set your eyes upon Christ, and you have a christ uh, uh Scripture, a writing that's just uh, the writing of men, and that interpretation, that understanding itself, uh, that meaning is not there. So it's the Holy Spirit, of course, who gives this understanding this uh, spirit of prophecy, that is, that we would be able to interpret correctly that all of the prophetic writings are speaking of Christ himself. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when in the fulfillment of the book of Joel, you have the Holy Spirit being poured out so that young men and women can see visions. That's what they see uh, dreams that have nothing to do with uh, Jesus, but instead that they can see the same visions as the seers, that's the seers, the prophets of old, who all proclaim Christ. So then now you have the gift and its ability to interpret the Word of God to understand who Christ is. He is the fulfillment of all these promises. And I think that this really helps us to understand uh, what's going on in the New Testament when Jesus comes as the promised Messiah, and people have their own interpretation of a thing or of the of what they expect or what they even demand Jesus to do as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised Son of David. It's the Holy Spirit who gives to us the correct understanding. Jesus is the one who gives us the the meaning fulfilling the Scriptures itself. And so this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians will talk about wisdom given from God, which is different than the wisdom of the world. Hmm. He opens up 1 Corinthians... Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 with this, understanding that, that it is in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom. So it's not the wisdom of the world that gives you access to God and to divine things, to be able to interpret a thing or to interpret the Word, but then the apostles go on and say, please, God, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, of course, it's the Jews who demand a sign, and it's the Greek who seek wisdom, And so you have even the Greeks themselves looking for this wisdom, but without the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit, you don't have the wisdom of God, uh, which is Christ, uh, who is incarnate, takes upon flesh and blood, and then he's crucified. And so this is a complete stumbling block to the Jews and complete folly to the Gentiles, because it doesn't make any sense. You know, we look around in life, we see suffering, we see that the righteous don't seem to succeed, but they're the ones who get the short end of the stick. And then you look at Jesus as the true king, as the one who is true wisdom. He is the one who is wise. And then you say, well, why did he suffer? Why did he die? It doesn't seem like he was successful in the ways of the world that he toiled in vain. And so in in 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about how we preach Christ crucified, the world doesn't understand this at all, because what the world just looks around and says, we can't make any sense out of these things. But it's God who gives us the interpretation of a thing, uh, the right understanding of the Word. And so even in Second Corinthians, I, I think that it, it's interesting that it ties in with this text about the, the rulers or the kings or those who are in power. So even in Second Corinthians, Paul says uh, that we don't have the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are all doomed to pass away. I mean, the rulers of this age, they're here and they're gone tomorrow. You know, they they cannot control death. They cannot control their own destiny and what they do in this life, uh, what they accomplish, what they achieve. And so Paul is assuring us that we have this this secret or hidden wisdom from God, it's from God, the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can interpret a thing, or interpret the Word itself, have this understanding. And none of the rulers of the age, of course, knew this or understood it, and that's why Paul said if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But these things, Paul will say, these things of God have been revealed to us by the Spirit. But it's not a spirit of the world, it's the Spirit who is from God. Who gives to us this gift of understanding the things freely given us by God, and He inter- and and then He imparts in us this this spiritual truth, interpreting this spiritual truth, because in human wisdom you can't do this. It's not taught by human wisdom. So it's the spiritual person, the spiritual man who understands these things because he has the the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of this interpretation to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all these things. That all this suffering and toil and stress and death and life, well, Jesus takes upon flesh and blood to be with us, to be God with us, Emmanuel. And so here's those wisdom, but this Christ crucified does not seem like wisdom to the world. Mm. And so the natural man cannot understand these things. But it's the one who has the Holy Spirit can interpret spiritual truths because we are spiritual, uh, thanks to the gift of God, using His Word, giving to us this Spirit so that we can interpret a thing, or interpret the Word. And and so then you have this contrast here that now, now we're talking about, this wisdom that comes from God. So this is not the wisdom of the world. So you go back to chapter 8 in Ecclesiastes, and you, you talk about Adam's wisdom, you know, we were looking back at man. Of course, Adam and Eve, they fell into folly because they, they fell for the deception of the devil, that if they ate the forbidden fruit, then they would be like God. Well, that was complete—it was a trick. It was a trick to the trickster. And they did not become complete or anything like God at all. Instead, they end up dying, and they end up being plagued with sin. But now you have the one who is the second Adam, the one who is wisdom incarnate. And so he gives to us this wisdom, and it makes the face to shine. And so we want to look at this uh, later on. We'll come back with face again. But the face shines. Uh, It's God who shines his face upon us Mm -hmm. so that our face can now shine with the radiance of God, that we know that God is smiling upon us because of Jesus, which allows us to smile in this world in the midst of all of this uh, chaos that we see, all of this disorder that we see knowing that it's the devil, of course, who brings disorder wherever God puts things in order. And, and so the contrast is then this man's wisdom that he gains from God, his face shines, because his face is turned toward God, and God's face shines upon him. And the contrast is that uh, when you have this hardness of your heart, your hardness of your face, uh, you're turned away from God, and you're not listening to His Word, you're not hearing and heeding. you're not listening, you're not learning, uh, you, you hate God's Word. But when the light shines upon you, that the Holy Spirit works in that word, changing the heart, the hardness of the face is changed. Uh, just like the, the hardness of the heart, of course, now is changed by God so that you can begin to believe these things that God promises.
0: Now I'm, now I'm thinking about this, is the reality of this is perfect for All Saints Day, um, that we celebrated, or Sunday, that we celebrated last, uh, on Sunday, just yesterday, is that reality of that what made these folks wise was faith in Christ. And, and he is wisdom, Jesus is. And, and therefore, when we give that blessing at the end of the service, may his face shine upon you and, and, and give you his peace. It's just, it's just that's, that's a glimpse of radiance. That there is that that face shining that we will see in eternity at the final resur- after the final resurrection and it just kind of gives us that glimpse of heaven. I'm just I'm just I'm I'm thinking about all the things you you brought to the forefront here simply by a question which shows us once again Christ because it doesn't look like wisdom but yet it is. Any other thoughts on verse one?
1: Well, I, I think, again, we want to emphasize, like you said, that benediction at the end of the liturgy, the historic liturgy, where you say you're giving God's name upon people, that in the threefold, and Trinitarian blessing, you know, Yahweh bless you and keep you, Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, and, and Yahweh lift up His countenance and begin His face upon you and give you peace, so that He shines upon you and assures you that He is smiling upon you, that He is pleased with you for the sake of Jesus. And then he sends you on your way so that now you can beam with a smile upon your face, knowing that you have peace with God. Uh, And uh, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So we'll also want to look at uh, this understanding of being justified, that God is the just and the justifier. So when we talk about judgment and we talk about uh, these things that don't appear to be uh, coming to an end, you know, justice, the wheels of justice seem to turn so slowly, they don't work the way we want. But we know that on that final day, that Judgment Day, that all things will be made right, and everything will be put back into order, where we have the fulfillment and we can now have the full manifestation of this new creation all through the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, So we we do want to look at this understanding uh, of judgment, that on the last day there's going to be judgment for the righteous and the wicked, Mm -hmm. and the righteous, of course, being those who are justified by faith, the wicked being the unrepentant unbelievers. That's the, the contrast here. And so the righteous live by faith in this life, not by sight, knowing that justice will come, even though it doesn't come in our time, but God is the one who is just, he's the one who is justifier, and he's the one who justifies us. Uh, so that we now stand before God, Uh, we have access to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we can understand that in this life that we now have peace, peace with God, peace in our conscience, that we can eat and drink and enjoy all the gifts that God gives to us.
0: So let's keep moving forward. We have a few minutes before our break, and I wanted to read verses 2 through 9 and get a few introductory thoughts as we move forward. Now that we've, you know, looked at the question of wisdom— now he kind of peels back what wisdom is. Verse 2 all the way through verse 9. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he, has, he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man, to his hurt. Pastor, we have about a minute and a half, and he's he's speaking about you know, the, keep the king's commands and showing our weaknesses at the same time. How would you pull all that together?
1: Well, so first of all, this are going to go back to Romans thirteen from a New Testament perspective. That God is the one who puts these. Uh, people in place. He places us in these stations where he wants us to be of service to our neighbor, including those in the the governing, ruling, uh, authority positions that we have in our land, uh, and the lands across the earth. And so we are to be uh, subordinate to this system that God himself has put in place, knowing this is a minister of God. I mean, so this is Romans chapter 13 type things, that we don't just listen to what the ruler says, if the ruler is a Christian, Uh, or if the ruler is a repentant uh, uh, Christian, uh, Mm a believing Christian. Uh, Instead, we know that God is the one who's put all this into place. And so knowing that, we know God is in control, even though uh, things don't seem to be in control, uh, if you will, in this life. And so we have that assurance, and by faith we know God's Word and how God has put this together uh, for our good.
0: So let's take our break now. There's a lot more to unpack in these verses, but we got the king figured out and now we'll move forward to our weaknesses. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 8 with Pastor Brian Ketchamare, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. And welcome back. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter eight with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And Pastor, we ended, we we talk about that vocation of a leader, a king, and to follow his commands or their commands for the sake of order of our of our of our world. And and then it, it keeps going, not necessarily speaking more about kings, but Other things about our weaknesses and where we need to be looking and so forth. So how would you unpack the rest of those verses up to verse 9?
1: Well, I think that you still have to go back to this understanding of God's oath. I mean, so the only way you can deal with these weaknesses in our our own lives and in our heart that uh, tends toward evil Mm -hmm. uh, is that we, we look to God who is good. We know God is good, and he he swore an oath to our father Abraham. I mean, so when you go back to the oath of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was the hope that the, the Israelites were given when they were in the land of Egypt. I mean, when you go to the book of Exodus and the people of God cry out to Yahweh and say, hey, don't you know what's going on down here? I mean, we are being oppressed by an oppressor. A tyrant is tyrannizing us. Help us, O Lord. And it was because of that oath that he made to Abraham that the people could confidently and boldly go to God with that promise and saying, Take care of us, O Lord. We know you are king of kings. And help us, because this earthly king is oppressing us. Uh, And then, of course, in the whole book of Exodus, things get worse. So this is also a little bit of a wisdom here when you take God's oath and you you boldly walk by faith according to the promises of God, know that that doesn't mean that your life is now a bed of roses, uh, that there's still going to be thorns here, and these thorns are going to hurt, but we know that the thorns on the, the crown of Jesus were piercing His head so His blood could flow for us in the midst of our suffering. He suffers for us. He suffers with us. That's why He came down from heaven. And so you go back to the oath of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that, that gives us his ability to move forward, uh, to look to his promises. But also, of course, the oath that he swore to our, our father David. I mean, David is king, that his son would reign on the throne, and we're looking for the son. And so you have Solomon as his son, but then we know the whole track record of the rest of sons, and even Solomon himself. Solomon goes Abel. Uh And these sons, uh, sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're righteous, sometimes they're wicked. Uh, And so we know that the oath, so we still have this oath, and even in the midst when a pagan king totally overthrows the righteous king of God, we know that God is in control. So all of this here is about this oath, and even in that passage in verse 3, it talks about going before his presence? I mean, that's God's face again. That's what we do in the liturgy, when we gather as God's people around word and sacrament, where God promises to be present for our benefit, that his face would shine upon us. Uh, You have this this, kind of this warning here, do not be hasty to go from his face, do not take your stand in a cause of evil. Uh, There's going to be this temptation that you're going to want to stand on the other side. Uh, the side with the devil. The devil is uh, rebellious. Uh, The devil is a rebel, and he wants us to join his rebellion against God. Uh, Of course, it's very difficult for us, because by uh, conception and birth, we're already there, and the devil is always trying to recruit us back to his side. So you're going to have these temptations to reject God's word and resist the Holy Spirit. But God's will, of course, is that he continues to give his word to us and continues to give his spirit to us so that we would have this uh, this ability of interpretation of a thing or a word itself. Uh, and, and so in this life, you have the word of the king as supreme. And so what he says, and you say, yes, sir, and you do this, I mean, even in our country, we, we kind of had this idea in the, the age of rationalism, uh, If we in the age of the so-called enlightenment, if we just overthrow the king of England, then the government will be perfect. Well, <laughs> we know. We know, I mean, we should have known theologically that that would have not made the government perfect because you still have imperfect men dwelling in these offices by God. But it was this idea that if you just get rid of the king, the king is the problem. Well, the king is not the problem. Sin is always the problem here. Uh, So as believers, we we continue to listen to God's word even when we listen to the word of the king, which is uh, supreme. Uh, And so you, you hear this command, whoever keeps the command, will know no evil thing and again that's that uh, Hebrew word devar which is a word you know so you have this uh, a matter a word a thing uh, the king speaks the word uh, and you, you want to uh, keep God's command keep God's word and you have this wise heart and how do we get a, a heart of wisdom well it, it's it's from the word of God where the Spirit of God is working in our heart, so it's constantly going back to God's Word. I mean, you hear the words of the world, you hear the words of the King, but you go back and you continue to be refreshed by the King of Kings, our crucified King, Jesus Himself, and His Word, uh, the One who said, come to me all who are heavy laden, all who labor. So we come to Him to receive rest. And that's where our heart then is given this, this wisdom from God. And so when you look around outside, it just it doesn't seem like God's promises are true. It doesn't seem like it, because it seems like the wicked get away with everything or even prosper uh, to no end. And it's the righteous who seem to get away with uh, nothing and are just uh, completely tyrannized and oppressed by the world. Uh, but you keep going back to be refreshed by God's Word. Uh, but we we understand that no man has the power to retain the spirit or or the power over the day of death uh, that we do not have that ability to uh number our days uh, we do not have that ability to to tell death no, and we're going to overcome you and have the victory we can't i mean this is this is the the shared reality of all humanity that we are all uh we are all born in sin and all destined to die, and we cannot overcome sin by ourselves. We cannot free ourselves from the sinful condition and so we look to the one who is wisdom, the one who came to free us from slavery to sin, the one who can to deliver us from sin and to continue to change our heart. Uh, And so Solomon goes, all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. I mean, so you're looking at these things, your heart is being refreshed, renewed by the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, and you continue to walk by faith.
0: And this is interesting because there is a a, a lament that we all see and feel. This is what happens to us, this is for us when we come to worship. We're lamenting because it seems like the righteous... Are the ones who have who perish but the evil ones seem to have it all going well this is ecclesiastes seven i mean he speaks to this in in that chapter as well verse 15 and 16 and so forth and and here it, it it shows he knows full well that he did not have the power to believe and he did not have the power to determine death and he's i guess i would see it as he's really lamenting all of these things but then he's also looking to the Lord in a, in, a, in a very quiet way, I would say, in these verses. So I, just, I, I find myself listening to what Solomon says and find myself asking the same questions. Well, at the same time, I believe people in the pew and people in the world are asking the same questions about the brokenness and looking for wisdom. And boy, as you said so well, we have it. We have it in Christ. It is Christ, and he gives it to us only as a gift because we can't get it ourselves. So any last thoughts on those verses?
1: Well, you know, I, I've been here uh, out of the seminary for six and a half years now. And I have these conversations with my wife going, the world has changed just within 16 <laughs> yeah. and a half years. This is not the same world that I, I entered into the pastoral ministry in. Uh, I mean, it, it's changed so drastically. And you just look around, and you, you, like you said, I mean, you're lamenting. You're just saying, whoa, what is going on here? Why, why is this happening? Uh, things don't seem to be getting any better. They seem to be getting worse. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know that God is in control. You know that he is the king of kings. Uh, you you don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know the one who holds tomorrow.
0: So let's move forward. Um, it, it, it gets to it, it gets to the reality of the first commandment uh, that you shall have no other gods. It was We to fear love and trust in God above all things. I feel like that's like the, It's the commandment of everything, right? If we can't get that right, we're not getting any more right. But definitely these words here reflect all of Ecclesiastes when it speaks about fearing God and what that means for us. Verses 10 through 13. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does an evil hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well for the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So he, he, he tells us the truth of that first commandment, and he gives the promises for those who fear the Lord. How do we put this all together as we look at our world today?
1: Well, again, here, when he's talking about the wicked, when we say the wicked, we we want to understand the unrepentant unbelievers. But he he throws in this caveat here that they used to go in and out of the holy place. I mean, so these are those who, uh, of course, Solomon's looking in Jerusalem. I mean, he's looking at God's people. Even God's people who hear God's Word have this tendency, because of the the condition of the heart, to not want to gladly hear and learn God's Word. Uh, That By nature, we hate God's Word, and we don't want to hear. We do not want to listen. We do not want to learn. And so Solomon here is just bemoaning this. I mean, look at this. They were praised by the city. (laughs) I mean, everybody thought, look, they're doing such great things, but yet within their hearts, they're, they're wicked before God. So before man, it looks great, but before God, Mm -hmm. it's sin. It's impossible to please God without faith. And, and, and so you're talking about their evil deeds, and now, we, now he's going to the evil deeds. This is that it's not executed speedily. I mean, that's the, the wheels of justice. They grind so slowly, and it's, it's just—we want to say, how long, O oh Lord? How long? I mean, when, when is it going to come to an end? Aren't you going to intervene? Aren't you going to do something? I mean, that, that's the Israelites, again, in Egypt. But we know in the text of Egypt that Moses gives to us that God came down, all incarnational language, so that he would look and see, and he would know for himself the oppression that uh, Pharaoh was placing upon the Israelites, the believers, the righteous, the ones who are trusting in God's promises against all of these uh, experiences in life. And so that's why we we get to, like, verse 12, where it says, though a sinner... That's the unrepentant, unbelieving, uh, the wicked. The sinner does an evil thing a hundred times and prolongs his life. I mean, so it seems like he's getting away with it. Yet, I know. And so when we say, I know, this is that bold, confident assertion, that confession of faith. I know that it will be well with those who fear God. So that's the confession of faith. That we trust what God has told us. So what we know, the knowledge of salvation that God gives to us in His written Word, He assures us that He knows what's going on, and He knows uh, our our laments. He knows our condition. He knows our even our weakness. I mean, that's why we have this high priest who who can sympathize. He can empathize with us because He Himself is the Man of Sorrows. And, and so we know this is this bold confession of faith. We know. We know that we are are justified by faith before God. So He is just. He is the justifier. He will bring judgment upon the wicked, the wicked and the righteous. And so when we talk about that fear of God, like we said before, I want us to see fear of God in this way, that a God-fearer is one who knows that you cannot stand before God's presence with your own deeds. With your own things that you have thought, things that you have said, things that you have done, no matter how pretty they might look on the outside, or how you might have put some glitter and sparkles on them so that everybody else thinks they're really shiny, that uh, instead, the fear God is to understand you cannot come before God's presence in your own deeds and what you have done, but you can only be drawn into His presence because of the Son, Jesus, the Holy One, and what. He has done what he has thought what he has said and what he has done for us fulfilling the law of god perfectly passively uh actively and then of course dying for our sins so taking our sin upon him i mean the crucified christ this is folly to the world why would we preach the cross as the solution well this is what it means to be baptized that we live in this life we are learning to walk in newness of life knowing that we have been crucified with Christ, Uh, we have been united in his death and baptism and raised in his resurrection. And so Christ, who was put to death for our sin, was raised again for our justification. And now he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he is the advocate we have before the Father, the high priest, the one who intercedes for us, the one who bears our weakness in the midst of all these things that we see before our eyes in in this world. So we know that it will not go with the un- well with the unbelievers. We know this. We know that on the last day there will be a separation of those who have faith in Christ, the sheep who hear his voice and rejoice, and, on the other hand, the goats, who always call into question who God is, what he says, and reject Jesus as king.
0: Now, as you look at this, I think about chapter 7, when it said in verse 10, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. And I find this is a, a very common reality in the church as Christians, is that we'll look back with a kind of nostalgia. That I would say, I would say Pastor, you kind of did that, but you're, I think it was just kind of a general, this isn't the same as it used to be. But it is something that I want to ask you from a pastoral perspective. Someone comes to you, or they say this in Bible class, and they're just like, it used to be so great. It seems like evil is winning. Um, it seems like nobody cares about faith anymore. no one cares about Jesus anymore. According to these verses 10 through 13, there's hope. Um, there's got some fearful things too, but there's there's hope there. How would you address a person who kind of likes to focus on the past and how great it used to be and it, we're just going down that slippery slope into to the depths of darkness How would you encourage them with the words that we hear today?
1: Well, I think that we need to start with a perspective in how we perceive things. I mean, this is kind of—we're looking from our own viewpoint, our own vantage point of how we think things are working. So, I mean, in kind of an ironic, funny way, I say I came out of the seminary 16 and a half years ago, uh, and if I would have talked to a pastor— who had previously come out of the seminary you know over 16 years ago and he and I would have said wow what's it been like in the last 16 years he probably would have told me on day 1 things have changed so much in the world, it's only gotten worse. You know, he probably would have said the same thing as me. When I first came out of the seminary, it was a different world. Now wickedness is winning. Right, <laughs> right. Probably the pastor before him, you know, he would have said the same thing. I mean, so it's all the vantage point and the perspective where you're looking, where you're standing right now. And this is what the Scripture gives to us. It gives us a different vantage point, uh, a different viewing. And that's why, like, in the the book of Acts, again, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon those in Jerusalem, they now see things differently. They now see that Jesus is the answer. They now see that Christ was crucified for our sins so that he could defeat death and the devil. They now see all of these passages of the Old Testament pointing to the fulfillment in who Jesus is with this spirit of, of prophecy, being able to see with the seers, the seers of the Old Testament, the vision that they saw, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I mean, you know, Jeremiah would have been like, days are terrible. Isaiah would have been, days are terrible. I mean, all the <laughs> prophets before would have said, it's worse now. I mean, that's, that's like in the, in the book of Habakkuk, when he cries out and says, uh, oh, Lord, how Long, this is so horrible. Look at these Assyrians, they're just doing terrible things to us, and the wicked are getting away with everything. And the answer to Habakkuk, when Habakkuk says, I'll just wait for you to give me an answer, the answer is, it's going to get worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, to Habakkuk, it's like you ain't seen nothing yet. And uh, what's going to happen though is that you are going to live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. And so you're trusting in the promises of God that are all fulfilled in Christ, who comes to suffer, who is the King who is rejected, a King that wears a crown with thorns in it. Uh, and so it's just—it's setting the vantage point so that your eyes are not looking around here on Earth what you see going on before you and not going the way you want it to go, but instead setting your eyes upon the crucified one, the one who has defeated death and has overcome the grave and now is, is risen and living and ascended and is your advocate with the Father. And uh, he's crying out with you when you pray the Our Father. So he's, he's, he's the high priest with us and for us.
0: I would love to have this moment. I'm sitting in Redeemer Lutheran Church, and I lament to my pastor, and I say, "Pastor, this is going on in the world. Everything's going terrible, and I can't get good internet in Los Alamos, and all this kind of stuff." <laughs> no, it's kidding. Um, and at the end of it, their pastor, their beloved pastor, Christ-centered pastor, says, "Don't worry, it's going to get worse." Is, is, this, how, is this how it would go? Yeah, right. <laughs> that'd be the first thing right. you would say. You wouldn't end that way, but you would start that way. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't end that way, but yeah, I mean, but
1: you would end with the righteous shall live by faith. I mean, that's basically yeah. An, yeah. essentially the answer that Habakkuk gets. Uh, you ain't seen nothing yet; it's only going to get worse. And, and and that is the answer of Scripture. I mean, as we, we come closer and closer to the end of time, uh, when all of this thing is just going to be rolled up like an old garment uh, and, and done away with, it's going to get worse. Uh, because what's going to happen is the devil knows that his days are numbered. Mm. And so the devil is just going to kind of have these last ditch efforts to try to cause as much trouble as he can and try to take away uh, as many believers as he can to fall into despair and doubt. But it's God who always wants. Wants to give us his word, to bring us back, to gather us, as a hen would gather her chicks under his wings, and, and, and gather us and give to us hope and faith, So faith where there's doubt and hope where there's despair. Uh, but th- this is the Scripture, right? It gets to the point where there's apex, where it's just, it's going to be the worst times ever, right before the last day. But we know what happens on the last day. It all comes to an end. Uh, so we know how this is. We know how it goes, and it will not go well for the devil, and it will not go for the wicked who have followed him into his rebellion.
0: So let's keep moving forward in that light, because I I, I love how Solomon, he does this at the right time in the right place. 14 through 15 brings us to this, we are very well aware of our weakness, we're very well aware of who we are, we're very well aware of the realities, and that's one great thing about Ecclesiastes is that He's very real. He's a realist. And and he's doing it all in faith. He's preaching and teaching to us, those in faith. But then he brings us back at the right time. So 14 and 15, I'll continue. There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So i would break those into two sections. Verse 14 um, talks about the realities of this life, the righteous and the wicked, and how does he unpack that?
1: Well, again, the righteous are those who are the repentant believers, those who have the gift of faith, the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart, who see Jesus. And so we're righteous by faith, uh, not by our own efforts, but of course by the works of Christ, uh, who won for us salvation. And so that's the righteous. Uh, the wicked, of course, are those who do not believe this, who've rejected Jesus, resisted the Holy Spirit. And But the problem is that in this life, even for the righteous, you know, like Habakkuk is looking and saying, hey, the wicked are getting away with everything. I, I mean, th- this is kind of the lament, the bemoaning. It, it, it seems to happen according to the deeds of the wicked. <laughs> the righteous seem to get the, the short in the thick. They seem to be getting the ones who are punished. Uh, but on the other hand, the wicked seem... To be getting according to the deeds of the righteous, so it's like they seem to be getting rewarded for doing wrong, uh, and so th- this is that contrast again in this life how you see these things, and so it's all vanity, uh, it's all havel, uh, and, and, and so it's it just it, it's in this whole looking around at these things, and you see with your eyes that there there seems to be no uh, no help here. Uh, why why is this happening? Uh, you know, God gives this promise that we are to honor our father and mother, and it will go well with you. There's a blessing. So then you honor your father and mother, and you say, it's not going well with me, it's going ill with me. It seems to get worse. But that, that promise, though, is assuring us that God is giving these blessings in the midst of these things that appear to be curses, uh, cursings in, in our life.
0: And so then we get to 15. So he, he gets to the therefore Um, knowing the end of the story, knowing the resurrection, hope, I mean, already knowing this, in verse 15, what does he tell us to do?
1: To rejoice. So this is the thing. So in the midst of suffering, I mean, in in the midst of, of, of all these things that are happening, we know that God is at work. So God is at work in the midst of suffering, because we know that in the suffering of Christ, this is where God was at work. He was at work in the sufferings of Jesus to restore creation, to put an end to condemnation, to uh, get rid of the slavery of sin, to free us and give us liberty that his face would shine upon us so we know he is at work. So this is why Paul will, will talk this whole language that we can rejoice in suffering so it's not that uh, we rejoice in the fact that we like the feeling of pain and sorrow not that we're some kind of uh, you know just this kind of just psychotic kind of i just want pain i like the feeling of pain nothing like that but instead it's because of the promise because of the promise of of suffering in suffering that god is at work so we can be filled with joy so as believers suffer they know that christ has suffered and this is this. Pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, Jesus says, "Here's the invitation. Uh, join the church here and join us in suffering together." Well, to <laughs> the world, this is wacky. I mean, to the world says, "I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be persecuted for the name of Christ." I want wealth, I want wellness, I want everything to go well for me in my life. Uh, so that, that, that's the, the contrast that we have here. And so God gives us this joy. He, he says, be joyful, be joyful in suffering. And then he even says, eat and drink and be joyful. Uh, so even in the simple things, the most simple things that you know that the food that you receive is a gift from God, The the bread that you eat comes from God's hand, the, the wine that you drink comes from the grapes that God himself has planted in the ground for us. I mean, the bread, of course, from the wheat. And so even in the most simplest things, we can see that these are gifts of God to sustain us in this life. Now, of course, ultimately, even when you gather together as the people of God liturgically every Sunday, we we even see this in a different way, where we can take and eat This is my body, take and drink, this is my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, so that we can, with a joy, I mean, we we have this sorrow-filled joy, this repentant joy, that we know that Christ has died for our sins. We know that he has overcome death and the grave. We know that he now lives for us, that we are living in him. And that we have this joy and we can depart in peace, just like Simeon. Now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, and now I, I'm ready to depart in peace. I, I can leave in peace, peace with God. Uh, and so you can be joyful in your heart, knowing that uh, God is here for you.
0: And this comes back to what we went through in chapter 6, where the theme for that day was a good Rolling Stone song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Um <laughs> and and you feel that and and here he lays it out beautifully of our reality and then points us back to God so eat drink and be merry not because tomorrow we die but because tomorrow is in God's hands that 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 evil will never win the day and we see that and that I mean how could you not then lead that to the resurrection of Jesus and so forth how could you yeah. not then see Christ and his promises Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And that's
1: the difference between Greek philosophy, Greek wisdom, the wisdom of the world, is just, well, just eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, that's all you got. You might as well enjoy it while you have it. But instead, we can have this joy because of the promise, the promise of Christ.
0: Let's continue on. We have two more verses, and we'll have to wrap it up here in under three minutes. So let's continue. When I apply my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Now, let me first say this, and we'll hear your thoughts, Pastor. I think about the anxiety that we, ex- that we experience and that we see in the world where, yeah, there's a lot of restless sleep at night, whether people need help or they need to do this or they go through meditation or they go through prayer or they're trying to have different medicines or they're having different scents or whatever to help them sleep. Nothing, there's nothing new here as, as a theme in Ecclesiastes 2. Nothing new under the sun. It's a very anxious life. And he kind of ends in, in, I would say, kind of a, a downer moment here. But what's the hope we hear as we hear what he says, that we cannot know God and his ways, but yet there is hope as one who are ones that know Christ, and what is that hope we have?
1: Well, I think the hope itself is that God works in a mysterious way. He, he works in a hidden way, a way that cannot be seen. So in verse 16, you have Solomon saying, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business uh, that is done. So see the things that are done here on earth. So I'm seeing what's happening. But yet, in verse 17, he comes back and says, But I saw all the work of God. And man cannot find this, because you don't see it. It's hidden. It's hidden. It's not there. God works uh, in a mysterious way behind a mask. And so you know that in the vocations of life, the stations in life where God has placed us, he's placed us there to be a blessing to others, and through our hands, he's blessing us with his hands. And so this is that... That ability have the true wisdom from God, the, the wisdom uh, that comes from heaven, the, the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit gives us His wisdom that sets our eyes on Jesus. So we see something that cannot be seen without faith in this promise. So the heart sees the things of the world, but the heart that is filled with God's Word can see the things of God working behind what's happening in this world. But even though somebody says, hey, I'm a wise guy, am I wise in my own eyes? Well, he still can't find it. He can't see it. <laughs> right. and, and so that's uh, your song, I just can't get no satisfaction. I just it just, uh, I keep trying and trying, and this never happens. Well, even, even for the believer, the believer's going to go in these periods and say, I just can't seem to get no satisfaction. I just keep trying and trying and trying, and it never seems to work. And that's why you have all these laments. You have uh, the prophet, the Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I mean, you have uh, Habakkuk crying out and saying, why? And it's it's that the cry of the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms throughout is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? What's going on here? I mean, so it's that lament that even the believer looks around and the believer needs to rest in the assurance of Christ and his words that he has overcome the world i mean that's that whole let not your hearts be troubled why because i've overcome the world and to not be troubled in your heart is to be bold and confident and to be courageous knowing that christ is king the crucified king for us
0: and there's our time um as i think we you're telling us here is it's okay to be a wise guy as long as the wisdom is in christ the Reverend Dr. Yeah. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Brian Ketchemeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico, giving us God's strong word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Pastor Ketchemeyer, thank you again for giving us his gifts.
1: Oh, it was great to be here.
0: Saints of our Lord be a wise guy, and the wise guy is one who knows Christ, the one who realizes he cannot retain the Spirit, he cannot get the Spirit, he cannot know the time of his death, he does not know actually much of anything. But it is Christ who is our wisdom and gives us his wisdom, all founded on the cross of Christ. This is our hope, and this is what we stand on this day. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.